Hi, everyone. This is Peter Bassler with ESEC Lending with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights, uh, joined by my frequent co-host, Brooke Gilman. How's it going, Brooke? It's going good. It's the end of the week, and I am incredibly happy about that. Yeah. It's been really nice, and summer is pretty much officially kicking off here. School's out for summer as of midday today, so I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it nonetheless means that summer is upon us, so that's good. Yeah, great. Well, I'm thinking about maybe spending a couple of my Zoom calls from my roof deck today. Oh. It's that nice, and it's Friday, so wow. I don't know. That's a little something different. Yeah. Video on, video off. What do you think? I don't know. It's a good question. I'm, I'm thinking video on, depending on who's on the other side. But hey, it's great to be back here. I know today we're going to give our listeners a little insight into our huddle, right? Which yep. is a window into our morning meetings, which is one of the things we started doing during COVID because it's a great way to have a quick hit on what's going on in the various trading areas. And 15 minutes is our morning meeting, but we typically do the huddle for 30. And we get a pretty good response from it. So I think it's a great idea to make it into a podcast. Yeah. And just to be clear to our listeners as well, part of why we're doing it this way again is mainly because Jim has been just a little too important and too busy for us lately. He's uh, the market, the good news. And what you'll hear from the huddle is that we definitely are seeing the market activity picking up in terms of loan volume, fees, and activity. We also have a super busy auction season, even though he says in the huddle that there's really no more season to our auctions and that's a constant activity these days throughout the year. But Jim's been busy, which I guess is a good thing. When Jim's busy, it means that there's positive activity in the market. And ultimately, that's good for our lender clients and the rest of the market participants as well. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think obviously Asia is looking hot and continues to be a huge driver, which I think is exciting because things have kind of traded off a bit there. So excited to see that happen. And as you know, I'm very big on this new, I guess it's not that new, but the whole ESG trend, right? It was great to see some questions in our huddle around ESG. As you know, we're working on some interesting tools to help our clients and our prospects think about incorporating their ESG views into their lending program. So I was excited to see that. I know there's been a lot published on it. So yeah, I think it was a, it was a good discussion. So I hope our listeners appreciate the fact that we're sharing that huddle here on our podcast. Yeah. And I think two other highlights, and then we'll maybe turn it over are just that one is in, you obviously noted Asia, but in addition to seeing increased demand and levels and activity in the Asian markets for equity lending. We're also seeing a pretty nice stable now pickup in the U.S. market, where I think Jim noted that balances are much higher throughout all of 2021 than they were at all in Q3 or Q4 of last year. He also noted that the overall fees for U.S. equities, inclusive of GC, are pretty rich, which is obviously healthy and a positive, and he really thinks, although Jim oftentimes, he makes these big grand predictions and more often than not, he might be wrong, but he's feeling like this activity has some legs and is sustainable. So that was good to see. He also made a comment that he said credit is on fire. So I saw that as a positive too, although I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing as a general comment in life. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's great to see Jim optimistic across the board. I was happy to hear him. I think I prompted the credit question and it's good to see people are going to start getting some strong returns from that asset class because that's not always the case. So let's turn it over. So to our listeners, this is another ESEC Lending Insights and you'll hear next a recap of our weekly huddle as Peter mentioned. And as always, if you have any topics or discussion items that you'd love to hear about, just let us know. Feel free to reach out and thanks again for listening.
Welcome, everybody. Great to have you back for our monthly huddle, which is, again, trying to give you a sense for kind of our 8.45 a.m. meeting where we hear from the trading desks about what's happening. So hopefully you find it useful. Good that we're heading into the summer months. I think we're coming back after Labor Day. Hopefully some of you are seeing the office or have plans on it sometime soon. We're also in auction season. So hopefully Jim and Mark can give you a little color on what we're seeing in that regard. Because again, that's a unique insight we have that a lot of other people don't. And with that, maybe I'll just turn it over to Jim to start on the U.S. equity corporate bond side. Thanks, Peter. When you can't be interesting, be brief. And so that'll be me today, I think, brief. So the market itself is interesting. We're very busy the last two months, but there's just not a whole lot new to report on. Still at the top of the headlines is the meme stocks. I think last we checked in, we were starting to see interest roll back in on some of these heavy short interest names that Wall Street Bets read its names. And that's continued in what I would say is a orderly, healthy fashion. So we see substantial on-loan balances for all the highly shorted names, but the fees have come down a bit and are starting to grow. So it feels sustainable to me. And we're at levels from an average fee standpoint in the U.S. now that we haven't seen for a long time, actually since June and July of last year. For all of 2021, the balances in the U.S. for U.S. equities has been higher than at any point in Q3 or Q4. But it's a rising tide for sure, but not lifting all boats. I think it's disproportionately hitting different sectors. We see sectors like real estate, utilities, energy, and mostly healthcare flat over the last two months from a fee perspective. So there isn't a whole lot of new risk getting put on there. But conversely, we see huge spikes in fees in financials, info technology, as you would expect, even consumer discretionary, the average fees doubled over the last few months. So on average in the US, the fee is about 81 BIPs, which is inclusive of GC. So I think that's saying a lot. If you think GC is kind of 25 to 50 on the outskirts, on average, we're pretty expensive, I guess, to borrow, which is good. I took a look at different points in time over the last year, and we aren't concentrated relative to the way we had been, say, in Jan and Feb with GameStop revenue for securities lenders being 50% of what you were making in the U.S. Now there's nothing representing more than 18, 20%. So fairly balanced. So feel good about it, I think, but it's hard for me in this seat that I sit in to confirm it. But I think a lot of the activity we're seeing might be synthetic from the end user side. The borrows are the shorts from the PBs who are writing those synthetic either puts or total return swaps on single names. So there is that borrow activity. It's not like people are doing it synthetically and then there's no need to borrow stocks. I think any short position at some point has to back down to an ordinary borrow of common stock. Jim? Yeah? Does that mean that you're seeing just as much diversity over counterparts borrowing these types of positions? Or is it what you would have always expected and pretty typical? Or is it more concentrated with certain counterparts that have more of that business right now? Yeah, it's a good question. It's more concentrated with the large established PBs with pipes to everybody. So the Morgans, the JP Morgan, UBS, we saw a headline this morning. It looked like Nomura is going to cut back their prime brokerage on the back of the Archegos fiasco. So some of the small and mid-tier guys are probably losing business while the big PBs are getting a little bit bigger. They report that as well. Typically, we discount what they say. and You have to wait until we see the numbers. But that's basically what's happening. It's a shift to the larger guys, which it's not heavily concentrated in any one of them. I still think I would call it our program balances to be diversified. I don't think there's concentration in, in any one. GC has become more prevalent. 
people are shifting, as everybody can imagine, with no yields anywhere. And Brooks, you'll probably talk about that, but there's no yield anywhere. So non-cash has been predominantly the flavor of the month for our borrowers. We're seeing it in different forms, though. There's a lot of structured opportunities that we're looking at and taking advantage of, approaching our clients on. We're seeing e free term both in discretionary and embedded in exclusives. As you can imagine, an exclusive looks much like it's a one-year bet for borrowers. If they can get any sort of balance sheet relief, given that that is a term commitment and a term ability to maintain borrows, they get a little bit of relief there. We're seeing interesting flavors and, and premiums paid for e free term, which I think fits nicely with an exclusive product. We're seeing new use of domestic tri-party from the likes of Morgan and others, where the language in the domestic tri-party versus the traditional equity tri-party, which is international or global in nature from both JP Morgan and Boney. But this domestic tri-party has language that makes it look more like pledge language than title transfer language. Again, just beneficial to the PBs and they're willing to share that savings with anybody who looks at the new structures and the new structures. So it's taking up a good portion of our time outside of all the short squeeze names and the gamification. VIX remains relatively low. Makes me feel like we haven't hit a ceiling here as we've seen average fees go substantially up over the last two months. And we've seen utilization drifting higher, on loan balances jumping higher. I don't think we're up against the ceiling. I think if the VIX were to spike, we would continue to have pricing power and, and generate more securities lending revenue for our clients. Jim, quick question. Just see a yep. question come through about if the discretionary fees increase are being seen in exclusives or how are yeah. you seeing that translate? Yep, we do see it. We are at the tail end of our spring season. Mark Wilson and I were talking this morning and it doesn't feel like we have seasons anymore. So June, we have what will be a total of six auctions. And so it used to be there were certain times of the year where best to auction. Now it's all year round. But in the spring, we predominantly do U.S. equities and corps. And we have seen year over year bids, higher premiums in the 30 to 50% range relative to the asset class. So trending higher, we're seeing we're in the middle of a handful of Asia auctions. We're seeing feels like days of old premiums that we hadn't seen in a long, long time. I credit South Korea and lifting that short sell ban for that region. I'll let Mark talk about specifics. I was going to say, Jim, slow down, man. I have nothing to talk about. Feeling your thunder. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. I wanted to actually ask you a question, Jim. You talk about the equity for equity business and you know the stuff that's being driven by the US borrowers. That's run through international entities, some through Dublin and others through London, as you say, mm -hmm. for RWA costs and, and that kind of thing. What's the latest with the 15.3C? Is anything happening there? Are we, are we hearing anything? Yeah, it's C3, 15C3, but you're from the UK, so we'll let it go. There is a thought that it's coming. It's not imminent, but coming soon. So I'm thinking 2021. Again, though, you know, supply will follow that. So certainly brokers would want to do their E for E out of their US entities. But many of them have set up these offshores, probably spent a good amount of resource and money to get it set up and to platform their hedge funds on their international or bank entities outside of the US. Maybe it shifts over and maybe it's a big jump, but I think what will happen is we'll need the 40 Act funds to follow suit. Once the SEC comes down and makes changes to the customer role, the 15C3-3, then I think mutual funds will look at it and that would be a game changer. We'll see, Mark. Quick question, Jim, another one. Credit, any comments on credit? Yeah, credit. Our high yield book in both discretionary and our auctions is on fire. 
we're also seeing credit ETFs, not just JNK and HYG anymore. It's more esoteric, high yield or IG ETFs being heavily shorted a lot of redemptions. So there is less supply and equal or more demand to borrow. Or as in the States here anyway, um, as the government is perceived as to be unwinding some of their bond purchases over the next couple of quarters, we're seeing positioning ahead of that in shorts and credits. So uh, it's been a good time. We've moved what we pay on average for our corpse down by about 10 or 15 bips. So we were paying at one point for generic GC versus cash. We would pay OBFR flat. We're at OBFR minus 10 now and headed lower without degrading our balances. Typically, you see a balance bleed out and borrowers will put their balance somewhere else if we get a little bit more expensive. That's not the case. So we'll keep pushing credit towards a more profitable. But yeah, it's good space. And I expect that to continue. I think we're seeing a lot of PBs that historically haven't had credit funds on their platform onboarding them. So we're seeing the demand a little bit more broad. Great, great color. All right, with that, we'll go over to Mr. Wilson. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Peter. So, yeah, just following you know, what you said at the opening there, Peter, about being auction season and Jim giving some information about why we're seeing auctions. It is an annual thing now. Typically, Q4 was always the busy period for running auctions for the following year and getting your first look at how the next year is going to look. It's just completely changed now. We've always looked to auction our assets. It's not everybody's cup of tea and not everybody's assets are suited to it, but it's getting more and more common. And I get asked all the time by broker dealers, are people still buying exclusives? And yes, they are. It really is picking up. The momentum is still there and we're still seeing premiums. And we get surprised at every auction, as Jim was saying, you know, we just ran one today and it was really well received. And there's not tens and twenties and thirty, you know, borrowers bidding on this, but you don't need that amount of people to get a high bid. It just takes one bid. You know, you've made 10, 15, 20 million dollars for a year. So I think there's always value there for us, and we'll always look to put them to market like that. And I know at the start, you know, in the huddle last month, we talked a lot about South Korea and it coming off the short sale ban. We have seen some interest in South Korea. As soon as the ban came off, it was only two indices that they released 300 shares out of the 1,500 that were shortable. Everybody is wanting to have an exposure to South Korea and the levels, you know, South Korea with the ban on average fees were 50 basis points, 60 basis points. And that was legacy trades that had rolled into just GC long positions that people needed. Post the ban, average fees are around three and a quarter to 350 basis points, which is phenomenal. That's for essentially a developed market. It's it's an emerging developed, you know, who knows? But those levels are incredible. They're changing all the time. We're seeing names go from 500 basis points to 1,500 basis points in two days. And offshore lenders, like the likes of our clients and prospects who we speak to, to look at these markets... Because they hold these mid and large cap names in such size, they're just getting filled on positions. And not every lender is in Korea. It's a complex market. You know, there are regulations and rules. And since the ban, those rules have become a lot more stringent. And, you know, I'm hearing that broker dealers are, you know, they're being called on a daily basis by the Korean regulators for the new processes they've put in place. Can we see your execution notes? Can we see your confirmation of borrow? So that for the moment is causing the broker dealers to be cautious about where they see the market going over the next three to six months. So exclusives in that region at the moment for South Korea, I don't think they're going to be that popular until people know what's going on, until the regulators are comfortable that they've done enough 
to sustain and be happy with the short selling and, and what they've done going forward. So discretionary program, whilst it's running, you know, right firing all cylinders, we'll take that. It, it's good for us. It's good for our clients. The worst quarter last year ever, Q4, and it's, it's on the way up now. We're seeing volumes and levels in Hong Kong pick up, Taiwan's going through the roof. The Korean assets, it was, it was people's biggest market in 2019. I can see it going that way again this year, just on mid and small cap names. So the region's absolutely flying. Europe's a little bit slower behind the curve. We saw that big momentum with the US in the first quarter here. Now Asia's catching up. And I think Europe's going to be slowly coming up behind, hopefully, for the third quarter and see at the end of the year. We've had one huge name in France, which was a rights name where it was preferential for clients to not subscribe. And the margin on that, the spread, went to almost double digits. And when it comes to those types of trade, yes, you can trade and put it out at a fee, but you know we were quite strategic on that. The girl that works on my desk traded some stuff for a profit split. And it can work for you. It can very, not doesn't very often work against you. You just don't make as much. Spreads widen on this name. And it was an absolute slam dunk for positions we had on loan. So it's good to sort of strategize and have a few different eggs in different baskets. We've got a couple of questions. And one just came through on ESG, which I think is an interesting topic. And there have been a few pieces of industry written about it lately. One by PASLA and RMA jointly, which I would encourage people to read. And then one just came out, which was something from RMA and State Street, actually talking about ESG data and how you incorporate that in SEC lending. I think one comment I would make is that you know, it's not about whether your program's ESG compliant or not. It's about how you express your own ESG views in your security lending program. And I think agents are going to start having tools, both for proxy voting and for collateral, especially equity collateral that are going to address some of those issues. I know we are working on a product to enhance what we're doing there. So watch that space. I think it's a good question and one that many people are thinking about. Obviously, it's more prevalent in Europe pushing the ESG agenda, but it's definitely coming to the US as well. So I would just make that point. And then there was also a question of proposed US regs on short selling disclosure impact demand. So I don't know, Jim, if you have a thought on that one. It's a good question. I don't know. I guess the form of those requirements on the reporting side for short selling, the devil might be in the details, but I wouldn't think so. I think there was something this morning about uh, requirements for reporting synthetic shorts, which would be either puts or TRS. If that were to happen and you had to report on your synthetics, maybe that pushes more people to traditional shorts and maybe it's good for us. I don't know, but I think we'll have to wait and see. But education will be good. We're front and center right now with the short squeeze and GameStop and AMC being on everybody's minds and attacking short sellers, essentially, from the retail side. I think an education for the general public on the importance of shorting, both as policing the market as well as liquidity providers. I think any sort of better understanding there will put us in a better position longer term. So a bit of a bump, maybe for some in the short run, as they try and understand what's happening. But transparency in this particular case, I think, might be good for us. That's my soapbox elevator pitch on where we're at. It's a pretty tall order, though. It's more than a bit of a bump to probably educate the broader public. Bit of of a bump. There, Jim. Maybe get some podcasts going, Jim. Right. From Dartmouth. I'm going to hand it over to Mike, maybe to give us some color on treasury lending and also maybe cash reinvest. What's happening there, Mike? Thanks, Peter. Thanks, guys. So last month, over the last month, we continue to deal with downward pressure in repo, which has seemed to be the trend the last six months or so here. 
just a combination of asset purchases and treasury account drawdowns, adding reserves to the front end of the market. Repo pin to zero has increased the opportunity for our large GC programs, where our cost of funds for both open and term markets are at the lowest levels historically in the tightest OIS, where a lot of the dealers benchmark these um, trades off of. The abundance of cash in the front end has led to the usage at the reverse repo facility to be at record highs, seemingly day after day now. Yesterday, we had about 500 billion go through. Uh, what this is essentially doing is giving money funds, you know, large cash investors, a place to go with its cash above negative territory, further strengthening the repo floor at zero. A lot of conversation the last couple of months as money fund inflows from you know, relief packages and, and stimulus checks, as well as some of the stuff that's been happening with the treasury account. And as utilization has been increasing, we've had further chatter about whether or not we're going to see a tweak to these administered rates, which are the IOER and RRP levels that we've been talking about for the last couple of months here. I think a couple of weeks ago, it was probably more likely than not that the June FOMC meeting was a key point that to get through and that, the, that these levels were going to be tweaked probably somewhere between two to five basis points to get short end rates off of zero. It seems that the last couple of, at least last week or so, the, the Fed funds print has hung in there uh, pretty sticky at six basis points and five basis points is typically that pain point where they think they might have to tweak. So I think it's now it's probably less than 50% chance that Fed decides to tweak something at next week's FOMC meeting, but still something to keep an eye on and something that could ultimately steepen the path of short end paper, short end rates, as, as well as repo. Special space has been pretty active the last few calls that we've, we've had. We got a lot of good volume on for our clients that have positions on the on the runs or some of the off the runs. The last month has seen a flattening in the curve, which has caused some of the cash positions or a lot of short coverings in, in the cash markets, ultimately cheapening some of the repo levels in the on the runs. There are definitely still some specific issues, some of the cheapest to delivers and some of the off the run bonds that have large short bases in them and where desks are short and they'll pay through OBIVA, through GC to hold, but not nearly as much activity as we've had on the last few calls as these, specifically in the on the run 10 and, and 30 year issue, which will reopen next week. I'm hoping as we get corporate bond issuance and some more hedging trades go on that we see some of this volatility return and some of these deep negative trades go back on in the coming weeks. The front end reinvest side, quickly I'll, I'll touch on, continues to be under pressure. The supply demand dynamic continues to heavily favor the issuers who are able to get or either A, well-funded uh, or B, or close to wrapping up funding needs and can issue paper at seemingly you know tighter spreads week over week. If you keep an eye on quarterly LIBOR, it, it broke 13 basis points this week, all the way down to the low 12s. And if you look at where three-month bank paper is clearing, it, it feels like the getting to like the 10 or so level is a realistic point for quarterly LIBOR, as long as there's no intervention in the coming weeks from the Fed on some of the short-term rates here. So what we're looking at for our cash programs is trying to get a little creative, trying to think of different trades to do to try to pick up some relative value. And this can, continues to be a common theme in the market is some of these optionality trades, some of these put call notes, which a lot of the ABCP programs are now bringing to market. It's been a nice little relief for some of the cash investors who are looking for some incremental spread. Things as, as well as, you know, increase in duration, extending guidelines to include different, uh, you know, tiered paper or include different issuers or different sorts of collaterals outside of cash uh, are all things that are going to be very prevalent. It uh, fails in, in the summer as we continue to go through this period of just large amounts of cash. And it's just something that you continue to think about. Great. Thanks, Mike. One other question that came through that, Mark, you probably could answer is around what the common profit split is on the trades that you were talking about at the end there. You know, it depends on what the kind of trade is. 
if we get a positive election from the client, it can be anywhere between 50-50 to 70-30. There's lots of factors. You have to look at how much of the stock you're holding compared to what's in the lending pools. You know, if you're a massive holder and there's not much else out there, you can be a bit more aggressive on the fee split, maybe go to 80-20. If it's a massive liquid name, you know, 50-50 is where you are and anything in between. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully it was an interesting 30 minutes and we'll see you next time and let us know if you have any feedback. Thanks, Thanks, Mark. Have a great week, everybody.